Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by medical students and physicians in training, where today's stories are told by tomorrow's doctors. I'm your host, Dr. Imran Ali. Coming up on today's show, obesity is on the rise in the United States according to statistics. But a patient is more than just a statistic. Today, Pulse, Voices from the Heart of Medicine, explores how obesity can trap someone in ways never thought of. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Imran Ali. Continuing with our special series of narratives published in Pulse magazine, an online publication that shares personal accounts of illness and healing, fostering the humanistic practice of medicine, and encouraging healthcare advocacy. Today, we look at the story of Dr. Edward Thompson, entitled Supersize Me, about his experience with an obese patient who is in denial and ultimately triggers a wake-up call to all of us in this fight against obesity. Fighting obesity may be a talking point for every physician and public health official, but once obesity has a face, reality hits home. Supersize Me by Dr. Edward Thompson Donald is large, very large. At more than 600 pounds, he is a mountain of flesh with a small opening at the top through which he speaks. My stomach hurts, he says, his voice surprisingly high and childlike. It's 10 p.m. in the emergency room and I'm already swamped with patients I'm trying to move through the ER before my shift is over. Asked if he's ever felt this kind of pain before, Donald says, No, never, at least not like this. Well, what did you expect? The unit secretary mutters only half to herself. Donald is in his 40s. He spends his days on the sofa at home, surviving on disability checks for his back pain. Facing him, I momentarily put off. I'm not sure just where to start the examination. And when I begin, my hands look small and insignificant against the panorama of skin they're needing. It's hard to tell exactly, but I think his pain is coming from somewhere around his stomach. I call the surgeon. When he finds out how much Donald weighs, he says that he'll be down to see him in a while. Awaiting his arrival, we try to shoot some x-rays. When he rolled Donald onto his side, though... He turns an unnatural shade of blue-gray and cannot tolerate the position long enough for us to put the x-ray cassette behind his back. We try a chest x-ray, turning up the power to the maximum setting. All we see is white. Donald's body is just too thick to allow standard x-rays to penetrate to the bones. He is a walking lead shield. We start an IV and get some blood work, all of which are normal. Our standard GI cocktail of shot-in-the-dark digestive tonics plinks into Donald's stomach without any effect. Morphine at doses high enough to make me dance on tables merely makes him a bit drowsy. I talk to Donald in between procedures, trying to get a sense of him as a person. He recites a litany of consultants he has seen for his back pain, his headaches, a chronic rash on his ankles, his shortness of breath, his weakness his insomnia, and his fatigue. All of them have failed me, he says, adding that the EMS paramedics didn't have the proper ultra-wide, ultra-sturdy gurney to accommodate his body. 
The Americans with Disabilities Act says they should have the proper equipment to handle me, the same as they do for anyone else, he says indignantly. I'm entitled to that. I'll probably have to sue to get the care I really need. I don't know quite how to respond, so I say nothing. We place Donald in a room with an oversized hospital bed, so at least he's resting comfortably. Finally, we move an ultrasound machine into Donald's room. It barely fits between the bed and the wall, and the technician goes in to take some diagnostic images. Minutes later, he emerges. I need to get the radiologist to help me, he says. This is impossible. One half hour later, the chief of radiology comes out of the room, rings of sweat under his arms. I think we have something, he says. A gallstone. Elation surges through me. At least we have something to work with. Paged again, the surgeon finally shows up, muttering a full two hours after our initial conversation. After examining Donald, he thinks for a bit, then brightens. We could send him to the University of Maryland. They have an oversized OR table and beds. He's now a man on a mission to unload Donald to another unsuspecting hospital. Hours later, he learns that there is no room for Donald on the surgery wards of either the University of Maryland or Johns Hopkins. He must admit Donald to our hospital's upstairs ward until tomorrow when he can try the transfer again. The surgeon is most unhappy. He bellows orders over the phone at a nurse several floors above us. Don't put him in a room right over the ER, whispers the unit secretary to the admission clerk. The floor won't support him. He'll come crashing through and kill us all. Glancing across the hall at Donald, I see by his eyes that he heard her comment, and I'm suddenly sure that he heard all of the side remarks aimed his way. Finally, a slew of huffing and puffing, grunting attendants wheel him down the hall, leaving me to reflect on his plight. Donald lies at a very large center of his own world, a world in which all the surgery mankind has to offer cannot heal the real pain he suffers. He's trapped in his own body like a prisoner in an enormous, fleshy castle, encircled by a moat of fat. He shouts from the parapets to anyone who might give him succor, and though he must feel wounded by the ER personnel's remarks, he seems to find his own succor in knowing that there's no comment so cutting that he can't be soothed by the balm of 8,000 calories per day. Later on my shift, still feeling the eldritch traces of Donald's presence, I sit and stare at my 700-calorie dinner, all appetite gone, wondering where empathy ends and compassion begins. I know why my colleagues and I are glad to have Donald out of the ER and stowed away upstairs. He is an oversized mirror, reminding us of our own excesses. It's easier to look away and joke at his expense than it is to peer into his eyes and see our own appetite staring back. I push the food around my plate, then give up and head back to the ER, ready to see more patients. Though I have no way of knowing it, within a few months, a crane will hoist Donald's body through a hole cut in the side of his house so that EMS personnel can lower Donald, found dead and alone in his upstairs bedroom, onto their ultra-wide, ultra-sturdy gurney.
That narrative was from the experiences of Dr. Edward Thompson, a family medicine physician who practiced in Frederick County, Maryland. Dr. Thompson was a family practice faculty member at Eglin Air Force Base, Harrisburg Family Practice Residency, and then went into emergency medicine for some time. Look forward to more pieces from Pulse magazine throughout the season. In the meantime, remember you can download podcasts of all past episodes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds or visit www.radiorounds.org. You can contact us in the meantime via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. All that information is at radiorounds.org. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage, providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. Radio Rounds is also proudly partnered with the Student Doctor Network, online at studentdoctor.net. Find answers to your questions about medical school or residency programs. Ask questions in our online forums and get answers quickly. It's fast, easy, and available now at studentdoctor.net. Of course, please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone, and have a great week. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm Imran Ali, and one day, I'll be your doctor. <laughs>